Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Between the Lines, the podcast that deciphers the handwriting, unfolds faded pages, and dips into the details of diaries, logbooks, and letters written during this same week, there or thereabouts, in 1943, some 80 years ago. Let's start with a quick recap of the situation. The Southwest Pacific Theatre is humming with activity. Under the direction of Admiral Bull Halsey, Allied troops land on the islands of New Georgia and Rendover. This is Operation Cartwheel, and over the next few days the US forces will go on to defeat the Japanese on Vangunu Island. Chronologically, we're pretty much in the middle of the war now. There's been a huge drain on human resources on all sides, but we're also starting to see an increase in the momentum of technological development that might supplant the need for more boots on the ground. For once, the phrase, it's not rocket science, really couldn't be further from the truth. For Germany, at least, their strategy in North Europe is somewhat geared to the success of ballistic missiles, and this is the week the V-2 rocket gets its first test launch at Pienemunde. This is also the week in which the Romanian Foreign Minister, Mihai Antonescu, tried to convince Benito Mussolini that now would be a good time to create an anti-Axis coalition. Mussolini refused, of course, but that does lead us nicely into an update from Harry Wilson. Young Harry is attached to Three Corps Signal in Syria. He's at HQ Palestine Command, which over the last month has been running a series of schemes in preparation for a beach landing. We'll dive straight in, as Harry does, with another one of those all-important exercises. Sunday 27th, Tree Corps scheme began, and like all Tree Corps affairs, it was a bit of a washout. The Cypher staff was split into two parties, one attached to main headquarters and the other attached to rear. I was with Sergeants Watson and Hunt. The other Lieutenant Corporal was Brian Birch. The convoy tore down the Damascus Road and turned into a valley in the foothills where the vehicles were dispersed and camouflaged. We were supposed to be in action. The cipher and the signal offices were placed side by side, the offices in this case being the interiors of three-ton lorries. All available men were put to work digging slit trenches. Hunt and Watson sat in the office while Brian and I worked at the cipher slit trench. We hadn't been digging long when a sergeant major dashed up frantically blowing a whistle. All the trench diggers except us threw down their picks and seized their rifles and ran up the hill. Brian and I looked at one another. What the hell's the matter with everyone? I said. Of course, it turned out to be another exercise. 
Monday 28, moved at 1am to another mountain position. On this scheme we were expected to wear tin hats and carry rifle and ammunition wherever we walked. It all seems so unnecessary. I've never been in the field, but I bet no one bothers about such things there. Brian and I examined the local fauna, quite a collection of insects and crawlers, all put in the army's camouflage in efforts to shame. Thursday 1st. Now on leave and have a comfortable room in the American University at Beirut. The university has let out several wings to the YMCA, who have converted them into a fine holiday hostel for British troops. I was lucky. I got the last bed in the place. There are interesting people here. Girls, not many, just a couple. I have fallen in love with one, a Polish, pale-faced beauty dressed in blue. I thought she was very lovely, but unfortunately, so did everybody else. Friday 2nd. This evening the pale, dark-haired Polish lady was dressed in white and talked occasionally to two rap sergeants who sat at my table. She spoke softly and musically and she walked from table to table like a queen among her guests. Admiring eyes followed her. She seemed to know quite a number of those present and ended up sitting with a Syrian civilian. Later when I was sitting alone she came up smiling to ask me if I'd like another cup of coffee. I could only nod dumbly, and when she returned I hadn't the courage to rise to the occasion and speak to her. This isn't like me at all. Gosh, that's not like our Harry, is it? Distracted by a young lady? Goodness me! OK, on a more serious note, let's stay in this latitude and check in next with what's going on in the 56th Heavy Regiment over in North Africa. RSM Jack Ward is still getting some much-needed downtime. This time at an official rest camp at Karata. Now, Karata is about 225 miles to the west of Tunis and about 120 miles to the east of Algiers. But if your idea of the North African campaign involves nothing but vast rolling desert plains, then this part of the country will be a bit of a surprise. Gorges, a dark backdrop of jagged mountains and hillsides and, to be honest, some pretty verdant scenery. Here's Jack. 29th of June. I'm writing this at the rest camp in Keratar. What a grand spot. Saw a monastery. Got some wine there this morning. I've just been for a dip in a cascade. Cold, but lovely. Hot as the dickens. Plenty of fruit, Victoria plums, peaches and lemons. I shall send some home. 4th of July. This is Sunday. I'm still at the rest camp and have taken over the last century. Went to Bougie last Thursday and saw the picture Desert Victory. Very good film. Very good harbour at Bougie. Lots of shipping sunk in the harbour, town built on rock. Lots of fruit here, plums and pears, apples, oranges, tomatoes, etc. Grand surroundings as well. We're in an olive grove, do our own cooking. (laughs) Mountains on all sides, lovely. Very hot. Only wearing gym shorts and shoes. I'm going to do some letter writing this afternoon. No news yet of any second front starting. I wonder where and when. 5th of July. Monday. I've just been in the river and had a bathe and done some washing. Washed my sheets and all that, you know. Used a soap from home. Lovely and white. <laughs> Very hot again, mind. I've been to this monastery and purchased some wine at eight francs a bottle. Grand stuff. Having a grand rest, just sleep, watch and drink. It doesn't matter which theatre we're in, the precise amount of downtime planned in and around each new action was almost as important as the details of the action itself. 
Repairs had to be carried out, supplies had to be shipped in, and men needed to recover too, both physically and mentally. If you remember, RSM Jack Ward is still nursing a bullet wound, so he's clearly making the most of his time at Karata. But someone else who needs time off for medical reasons is Lieutenant Heinz Knocker. He's just 22 years old. And after his dogfight last week, we find young Knocker reflecting on how far he's come and what he's achieved so far. July 2nd, 1943. It had been my intention to remain with the flight. But a commanding officer, Captain Specht, who assumed command of the squadron two months ago, ordered me to take a few days' leave. Together with Lilo and Dead Lingrid, I went to Hamelin. Three and a half years have passed since I left home. Then I had just taken my senior matriculation and was wanted to become a soldier. Now I'm back as a senior lieutenant. I was promoted a month ago. I'm confirmed as flight commander and I've been given the Iron Cross first and second class, the black wound stripe and the pilot's insignia. During the last few months, I've also received operational wings in bronze, silver and gold for having completed more than 200 missions. Today I'm a married man and father too. In our dear little rat hole nothing has changed. Every day, the dressing on my hand is changed at the local hospital. I have my arm in a sling, and I cannot help feeling rather proud of my first wound. This is a good time to take stock, but from the Allies' perspective, things are well underway in the South Pacific. Let's rejoin Major General Oscar Griswold with 14 Corps, making preparations for Operation Toenails. It's not the most salubrious moniker. Technically, Operation Toenails ran from the 30th of June through to the 5th of August. This was the first major offensive in the Solomon Islands after Guadalcanal, and is all part of Operation Cartwheel, a whole series of attacks working up the Solomon Islands, clearing the way for further campaigns and isolating the Japanese base at Rabul. At the northwestern end of the Galapagos, we've got Bougainville. Then we have the new Georgia Islands, Guadalcanal and San Cristobal, each one of the larger islands surrounded by smaller ones, none of which were well mapped, all of which were pretty inhospitable. Once off the beach, thick jungle is the order of the day, hard to penetrate, easy to defend. The Japanese troops are concentrated in a small number of locations, hence the Allies' ability to leapfrog, cutting them off from supply lines. Their main bases were at Munda, at the western end of New Georgia, and at Vila, on the southern coast of Columbangara. There were smaller garrisons on Rendover Island and Vangunu Island too, but Munda is the key. The plan was the Western Landing Force would come ashore on Rendover, and then a smaller Eastern Landing Force would take Viru Harbour. Once secure, the Americans would then build an airfield and prepare Wickham Anchorage at the southern end of the islands for use as a naval base. With all of that in place, they could then cross to New Georgia and advance on Munda, the main target of the attack. Let's join Oscar now, making sure everything's ready for the attack. 26th June to 29th June 1943. Routine. Getting ready to support the toenails operation. That's the taking of Rendova, Wickham, Anchorage, Segi and Veer in the new Georgia group. All preparatory to assaulting and capturing Munda and Villa. 
General Hester is in command for ground forces. 30th June 1943. Dog day for toenails. Big dog fight in air over Rendova. One of our ships torpedoed Macaulay. Apparently toenails going all right. No reports of excessive casualties. Today, 31st, July 1st in the U.S., is my wedding anniversary. Wrote a letter to my sweetheart. 2nd July 1943. Conflicting reports regarding toenails now. Fog of war persists. Rumored Jap surface task force approaching. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Between the Lines in just a moment. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me. So I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to check in with Captain Bertie Packer now, heading southeast with the crew of HMS Warspite. In this diary entry, you'll hear Bertie make a quick reference to Un seul but, la victoire, painted on a breakwater just off Algiers. It means one goal, victory, and it's attributed to the French general Henri Giraud. Giraud was a forceful officer who had more than a few disagreements with de Gaulle, 
and almost everyone else, really. Captured by the Germans in 1940, he escaped from a castle prison at Konigstein a couple of years later by lowering himself down the castle wall and jumping on board a moving train. Quite a feat. The Allies then picked him up and brought him out to North Africa in the wake of the Anglo-American landings to set him up for a period of several months as commander-in-chief of the French forces. He did rather upset the apple cart by arresting several key liaison officers, and he was quite a thorn in the side of the Allies throughout. Contrary to the party line, he supported Corsica's Front National, the communist resistance group, and was put on the retired list several months before the end of the war. But still, quite the character. But let's get back to Bertie, though. Monday, 28th of June. Division 2 went off on Monday evening, bound for Alexandria via Algiers. R.A. Bissett is with me in war spite. Valiant and formidable and nine destroyers. The rest div of Force H remain at jib, mun and choose. Very strenuous. In 48 hours, I had a total of four hours broken sleep, mainly due to settling in the new R.A. and staff. Wednesday the 30th of June. Arrived Algiers. Stayed a few hours to oil destroyers and for R.A. to visit the commander-in-chief, Cunningham. Un seul but la victoire, General Giraud, was painted in enormous letters along the breakwater. At lunch on board was Bill. He was still in his famous Aurora, and had recently taken H.M. from Tripoli to Malta and back. He said H.M. had personally insisted on visiting Malta, and that the reception he had was terrific. Overwhelming. H.M. with bellyache and diarrhoea had seen the whole day through. Thursday, July the 1st. Algiers to Alex. Two watches, day and night, through the dreaded old narrows where so many fine ships were lost. We are passing Cape Bon at this moment with six spitfires overhead and have just passed two convoys. What a change. Also, our carrier formidable with 25 fighters. Last time I went through we had no air except the enemy. So far the enemy have kept away. Tonight, or at dusk, we may well get roared up. As long as no one has hit, I hope we do get a chance so that my ship's company can fire in anger after all our training. R.A. Bissett turning out well. We'll make it, as a team, I think. We have Headache and Y-Men on board, who are reputed to be able to translate the enemy's RT slang and their WT so that sometimes one can hear them say what they are going to do. I have a shrewd idea that the balloon will go up inside a fortnight, and also where. But not on these pages even will I put it. It's all very exciting. Marvellous med, summer weather, purple sea, blue sky. Had five hours sleep last night, and very refreshed for having had it. And, as I wrote those words, 53 Spitfires passed overhead on their way to roar up Sicily. Back to Colonel Dr Wilhelm Maus now, our medical officer with the German 14th Panzer Corps. Mouse starts off in a reflective mood this week, thinking about his career so far and what may or may not be about to happen. But there are also some strong assumptions on his part about where and when the Allies will land on Italy and what part of the combined German forces will play in holding off that attack. The German 10th Army had planned for two corps to be in place on the mainland Italy, six divisions, all of which were now set up in defensive positions around potential landing sites. The Hermann Goering Division, the 15th and 16th Panzer Grenadier, the 26th Panzer and the 29th Panzer Grenadier, and the 1st Fallschirmjäger Division. 
Here's Mouse pondering the movements of the 16th and the 29th. He's not quite on target with the Allies' intentions for the landing, though. 20th June 1943. Casino. I'm at my table surrounded by flowers. Congratulations for my 44th birthday. I've celebrated this day far from home four times already. Once in France, twice in Russia and now here in the south of Italy. And now, in the largest of all struggles between nations, I'm here on watch in Italy. Again, we are ready for deployment, maybe even heavier than ever. Our force has been concentrated on both sides. Each day, the Ignatian Park can strike and start the battle in a huge way. With us or against us, we don't know. Only one thing we do know, that this goes until the end, and we must be strong in order to survive the coming battle. It could be the final battle. So that is what I wish for this new year. I wish to be strong and firm, to do my duty where my fatherland needs me. I will continue working in the service of Germany, and along with this, I will remain in the service to my family and their future. May this next year bring a victorious peace and a happy future for my family and the boys. 29th June 1943. Casino. Events now seem to be rushing toward a decision. Strong troop concentrations in front of the African coast are being reported. Larger ship movements are in progress. 16th Panzer Division has suddenly been relocated to Calabria and Apulia. Its forward command is already moving forward. New troops will take over its position in the north. Tomorrow, I'll go south to explore the area. 16th Panzer Division is scheduled to move into the area north of the line Tarrant Brandisi and 29th Panzer Division of the west of it, around the start of the Calabria Peninsula. They are to form a kind of army reserve there, a force against landing attempts in Apulia, which seems to be the most endangered. They do not seem to know what to do with our corps staff. We will probably wander in the area southwest of Bari, where we will find accommodation. There is not much to do here. The Wehrmachtsbericht reported an English terror attack again today, this time against Köln. Many of the bombers are shot down, of course, but to what end? It will not be hard for the Americans to replace them. 30th June 1943 Casino It is true, the Italians can certainly run when they need to. This is how I saw in Napoli today anyway. I was in the clothing office, trying my new uniform when the air raid siren sounded. Our Italians disappeared while the brave German soldiers continued. Finally, let's jump straight into the correspondence between Flight Lieutenant David Nairn Blythe and Julia Blythe, his mother, in Edinburgh. To explain, David is taking a spot of well-deserved leave, having finished his navigator's exams. It's a short note home, but it's a welcome one, and Ma's reply to last week's aircraft is, as you might expect, bursting with pride at her son's progress in the Royal Air Force. We'll start with David. 26th June. Dear Ma, I've just arrived on my way up to Prince Edward Island. In about 20 minutes from now, I'll be boarding the train for the last part of the journey. Since starting out on this very long journey, I've spent almost four hours in Toronto and five hours in Montreal, so nobody can say I'm not seeing the world these days. Ma, when I get to Charlottetown, I'll write again and give you all the details. Meanwhile, I hope that everything is okay at home. Cheerio for now, and love to all. David 1st of July Dear David I have just received a letter from Aunt Jean, 
talking about the second visit Frank and you paid to them. They are also proud of you, and I know they will feel sorry when you have to leave Canada, but we must always go forward on our journey through life. Well, John and Mary did it last Tuesday as promised. Married, finally, although I'm still waiting for my piece of wedding cake. And more news, I imagine. By the way, he said he hadn't had any letters from you. I told him you would be too busy. So, what real news? Well, June met Mr. Peary last night, and he sends his congratulations on your exam success. She's also having a hectic time, going to dance as she can. Rita is in training to make munitions. Dad's holiday starts on Saturday, but I think it will revert to the usual trades and work around the house, so not much time off, really. At the moment of writing, there's a young lad on the road practising on a trumpet, which reminds me so much of the sounds you used to make when you were learning. Well, David, I will write again when your aircraft arrives, so until then, cheerio. All at home are well, and send their love. All the best, Ma. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We do hope you found a little insight and were briefly entertained as we were reading Between the Lines. Between the Lines is a We Have Ways production. Julia Mar Blythe is read by Ruth Sillers. David Blythe is read by Matthew Malthouse. Oscar Griswold is read by Michael Lyons. Chester Hansen is read by Lance Fuller. Veer Hodgson is read by Rachel Holland. Heinz Knocker is read by Lucas Veschler. Bertie Packer is read by Paul Waggett. Jack Ward is read by Adam Jarrell. Harry Wilson is read by Joel Emery. Narration is by James Holland and Al Murray. Editing by John Gill and Joey McCarthy. Written and produced by Merrin Walters. The executive producer is Tony Pastor. <laughs>